We'll turn to read the Word of God in the New Testament and in the first letter of John and in chapter number 4. First John chapter 4. At the beginning of the chapter. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this the love of God is made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we are seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and our fear has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. Amen is God's word, and we trust that we bless to us our reading from it. We're now going to sing in Psalm 85 from Sing Psalms. On page 113 of the Psalm Book, Psalm 85, and sing Psalms, and we're singing at verse 4, and we are on page 113. God, our Saviour, now restore us. From us turn away your rage. Will your anger burn against us? Will it last from age to age? And we're singing from verse 4 to the end of the Psalm to God's praise.
back now to the letter of John, the first letter of John and chapter number 4 and we can read at verse 7. First John 4 and at verse 7. <clears throat> Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is Love, and so on down into the following verses. And as we continue to look at what God, what John has said about God, we saw in the morning from chapter one the way in which uh, John speaks about uh, God being light, and we saw the way in which he introduces the letter uh, to give to them a sense of 
the authority with which he speaks as someone who has seen and been with the Lord and who has been given that revelation uh, by the Spirit of God so that he speaks as a person sent by God to do so. And we saw, as becomes evident in this passage itself that we have read, we saw the way in which John speaks to this Christian community as the family of God and the church as the family of God. And throughout the letter, he addresses them as his little children. He addresses them as those who know God as their father. He is interested in their well-being and in their welfare and seeking to ensure that they will develop as the children of God. And we note it and we remind ourselves that, that there were three things that, that uh, were a threat to them maturing as the children of God and that the first of these was with regard to what they believed. The second of these was with regard to how they lived their lives and the third of these was with regard to the way in which they lived together. And sometimes we, we tend to overlook the absolute importance of the way in which the Bible looks at the church as the family of God and shows the way in which unless they are living together as they should, then something has gone seriously wrong. And we noticed in the morning that, that, that those who are not living the life of the children of God as they should, that if there are bad Christians in that way, it is because of bad theology. And we can say the same thing as we look into these verses here and say that if there are bad relationships in the church of Jesus as the Christ as a family of God, then it is because of a bad theology in the sense of not understanding the love of God. And I want to consider that tonight as we prepare ourselves for sitting at the Lord's table as the family of God, as the people of God, that we look at communion in these verses and the love of God. And as we do so, we remind ourselves that love is perhaps the most beautiful thing that we can read about God but it is also the thing that's most difficult to understand and it remains so much a mystery. But we do want to think tonight of, of communion and the love of God. First of all, we want to see that love means relationships. And John wants to emphasize that that love is to be seen in the experience of those who are the children of God. And he begins by addressing them as his beloved or as his brothers in verse number 7. Let us love one another for love is from God. He begins by putting the onus on them. And putting the onus on them here, not in this case to love God in return, but to love one another. And where there is love in the Bible, it's the love that is understood as that movement which is a spontaneous feeling that arises out from a, a choice and a decision that arises out of a state of our will. 
And because of that state of the world that moves in that self-giving kind of way, reaching out to cease to embrace the very object of love. And doing so not for self-satisfaction, but doing so in order to ensure the well-being of the person who is loved. And doing everything to ensure that their highest good is achieved. And so at the outset tonight, we, we are reminded of our responsibility to one another. To show the love that we have in the Bible to ensure that the person next to you and next to me will achieve the highest possible good according to the word of God, attaining to that level of understanding and of living as the children of God that is possible in this world. And that's not a small responsibility, but it is what God requires us to do. And he reminds them that they are to do that not in isolation from the God who is their father, but that they are to do so because the love that they are going to show to others in actual fact doesn't begin in their own hearts, but it is a love which is from God. Its source, its origin, its fountain, where it flows from is not in their hearts, it flows from the heart of God himself. Love is from God. And in order to test them, as he has said at the very beginning of the chapter, that they are to test the spirits where they are from God, in order to test them, to say to them that whoever loves has been born of God and knows and there is that, that knowledge of God, which means processing information about God, all that we read, all that we hear from the Word of God and, and in the fellowship of the people of God, all that we learn about God is processed in our minds to lead us to that place where by faith we embrace the God concerning whom we are learning about. And so the, the knowledge of God is a knowledge which is not simply intellectual. It's a knowledge which is experiential. It's at the very core of our beings. It's the knowledge which affects our choosing, our decisions, our relationships, our affections. It kind of controls everything. The, the knowledge of God that comes down into our hearts and is central to the energy through which we live in the world. And the person who then loves has been born of God and knows God. Here are the children of God. They are known because they are born of God. They are known because they know God. And they are known because they love one another. Our relationships with each other. That because we are the children of God, we are to love one another. And we cannot remind ourselves too often of our responsibility to do that. And we also remind ourselves of, 
of the formula that, that, that John has for us in this letter with regard to that loving. So that at the beginning of chapter 5, we see in verse 2 that he says this, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Our loving is a loving that's in the context of living a holy life. And living a holy life is a living that's in the context of love for God and his commandments and love for the children of God. And so it cannot ever be an excuse or, or a situation where, where I can claim to love God whilst I don't love my brother or my sister in the Lord. There is a formula, and it has these two simple golden threads through it, and if one is broken, then it's not working. If one is broken, then I cannot claim to have love for God unless I have love for the people, the children of God. And in order to, to drive that point home, he makes this declaration. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is present. The existence, the eternal existence of God. God is, we saw in the morning the way in which God is light. And here, God is love. Not only does he love, but he is love. And in the very center of his being, everything internal to God and the actions that flow from that, they're all of the internal actions of God and decisions of God they are loving. And that's so humbling and so wonderful, wonderful for us tonight. That the God who speaks to us in the Bible, who asks us to, to love one another for the well-being and for the highest good of each other, that he is the God who is love. And to his decision-making and his choices and everything that he is, is loving. He does everything for our well-being. And how are we going to begin to understand that? The Bible makes it clear that, that when we think of, of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there is that loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that remains hidden in God, but there is between them the ongoing, fulfilling, satisfying relationship where they see all the good in each other and where they rejoice in that good and where there is that dynamic relationship of love and of exchange of, of knowledge and of love and that exchange within the context of the holy persons that they are. But Jesus makes an interesting statement in John chapter 17. He is praying to God who loved him from the foundation of the world. And he is praying that 
he will be in the children of God and God will be in him. And he goes on to say that they may know that you love them as you loved me. And that surely is staggering that the very same love with which the Father loves his Son is the love with which he loves you and me. It is that dynamic, relational expression of the whole nature of God that is filled with love and filled with the sense of desiring our good. And he goes on to pray that the love with which you loved me may be in them. And so it brings us to to, to see our relationship although not within all that God is, but alongside all that God is in his love. God is love. And we cannot, of course, make the mistake of reversing the statement and saying that love is God. And why should I say that? It is because in the society in which we live and at times in the church of Christ across the world it is reversed that love is God and perhaps unconsciously we tend to behave in such a way that love trumps everything that no matter what goes wrong and no matter what is done wrong, no matter what is done in society or, or within the church of Jesus, no matter what goes wrong, love trumps everything. It trumps the holiness of God. It trumps the law of God. It cancels all of that out. Love becomes God. And we can develop that sense of thinking ourselves that we overemphasize the love of God and there is that danger that we overemphasize it in this way that we think it doesn't matter what we do or say because God is love and God is loving. Our whole being is to live as the children of God with the right relationships and with the right understanding of God is love, and that love is not God. Uh, and across our society, we can see this happening, even although there is no belief in God in many areas of society, we can see the whole same principle. Love trumps everything. We need to be loving, and of course we do. But if love, if being loving and loving means that we don't care about what God's law says, then we have lost the place and the importance and the significance of who God is. Communion and the love of God and the love of God and relationships. Secondly, we want to think of the love of God and revelation. If I say I love somebody, it's meaningless. Unless there is movement, unless there is 
dynamic unless there is motion. Love means motion. It means dynamic. And that's what, what John wants to drive home here. And speaking about relationships, he goes on to speak about the way in which this love, which is in God, which is, which God is, and the love which is now in them, in this was the love of God manifest among us. Love is known by revelation. And the love of God is only known because God chose to make it known. The pagans would go to their temple and this idea of manifestation was the intervention of their gods into their daily living to bring about change. They believed that. They worshipped idols, but they looked to their god, whether it was the, the sun god or whatever god it was, they looked for the god to come and to intervene and by his appearance and presence to bring about a change. And here we see that John is saying that the love of God is manifest among us. God intervenes. He makes a powerful appearance in our location, wherever we are. And let's not lose the significance and let's not overlook that he is saying, in this the love of God was manifest among us. He wants to make it clear that this all impacts upon them. That because this happened among them, they then have the responsibility. And for, for you and I to, to love one another, it means that there must be this revelation of our love, this dynamic of our love, that it actually comes to the place where those whom we are to love are found. Otherwise, it's meaningless. It's what happens in, in, in marriage between husband and wife. It's the love among us. That's where it's revealed. That's where its, where its appearance brings about a change. It is among us. And so in the family of God and in the church of Jesus, the love of God is manifested among us has to bring about a change. It's revealed. It shows itself by the way in which it works. It impacts on the lives of those who are around us. And as far as God is concerned, the great dynamic, the great intervention, the powerful appearance is by the way in which God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The son of God is sent on a mission into our world. And his mission is to make known the love of God. And the, the magnitude of the love of God is seen in the way in which he sent his only son God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. Abraham did not spare his own son. He was ready to sacrifice him. There is a uniqueness about the Son of God that makes the revelation of the love of God so magnificent that it is beyond our understanding completely. Tonight we we can, in wondering and in standing in awe of the revelation of God, think of the greatest revelation that he has given to us and the greatness of that in the passion of his son. He sent him into the world. The world that was alienated from God. The world that was close to God. The world that was in darkness. It is into that world that the God who is light sent his son to be the light of the world and to show God's love in the world. And the purpose of that and the benefit of that is so that we might live through him. And of course that means more than everyday living. We give thanks to God for every day in which we are alive. And we go from day to day marvelling at the way in which life can come to an end so quickly. But here is that we might live through him. It's that life which is eternal life, which is the highest possible good that we can have, that we can begin to experience here in this world, and that we can only experience in all of its fullness when the Son of God returns to gather his people from the world and when there is that great resurrection from the dead and when the people of God will go into the everlasting bliss of the eternal security of the family home of God that we might live through him. God is good. God is love. And tonight he has made himself known so that we can have everlasting life. I have come, says Jesus in John 10, that you may have life and have it abundantly. And that life that we have through the coming of the Lord Jesus is his life in our hearts that gives to us the hope of everlasting life. And when we see the Son of God coming into the world, as one sent by God into it, we think of the way in which love is mighty and powerful. We read in the Song of Solomon in chapter 8 that many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. Uh, let's think of the world into which God sent his son. There is everything true about the world that makes the world unloving. We have sinned against God. We have rebelled against him. We have broken away from him. And there is every reason why God would not love us anymore. But such is the, the dynamic power of love 
that overcomes every obstacle to reach those who need the benefit of that love and no cost is too great in reaching to those who need that benefit. And in that sense, the the revelation of, of my love for you and your love for me and for one another is such that no obstacle is too great. And the greatest of obstacles is not an excuse not to love because many waters cannot quench love. The love is the love that flows from God that he has poured out into our hearts and that flows out in our loving relationships with each other. And our failing so often is that our love has limits. There's a mark on the scale and my love cannot operate beyond that. And if something is serious enough to bring me hurt in my heart, then my love switches off. I cannot love beyond that. But I'm reminded here that I have to move away from setting any kind of limit on my love and to show it as the love of God. And that the greatest obstacle is the opportunity for the display of the greatest love. And what a transformation that would bring amongst ourselves across the whole Christian community in the world that our loving of each other is measured according to God's love for us and not according to the way in which our small minds and hearts shut off the valve because that's too much for me to take from anyone. It is a love that comes with revelation and revelation to bring about the highest good. And communion forces us to think these things through and to ask ourselves tonight, what is it that we need personally to do to show that we are the children of God, that we have been born of God, that we know God, and to show that we love one another. To say it is meaningless. It's displayed in our words and in our following actions. And that brings me finally to the love of God and reconciliation. Is that not why God sent the Son? Because we have offended God. We have rebelled against God. And God has sent the Son into the world as the one who is offended to change the offender and the offenders so that there is reconciliation. And that highlights what we have here in the fact that God takes the initiative. In verse number 10, in this is love. Let's see it here. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. The remarkable thing 
the very center of our relationship with God, that he takes the initiative and that unless he does that, there is no hope for us. He comes against all of the odds, if we can speak like that. He comes against all of the possibilities. He comes to make his love known in ways that are beyond our understanding. And that's why in the beginning of chapter 3, John draws attention to the way in which see what kind of love the Father has given to us. It's an out-of-this-world kind of love. It's an out-of-our-thinking, it's above-our-thinking kind of love. And this is love that he loved us. And at some level, we ought to pause to reflect on that. The wonderful truth that God loves you, that he loves me, that he came to where we are in all our undeservingness and with all the reasons why he should never come, that he loved us despite who we are. And we see that from the way in which he makes his love known. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent the Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When the Greeks thought of propitiation, the first thing that was in their minds was the gods are angry with us. The second thing in their minds was that they need to bring a gift to the pagan temple to pacify this angry God and to turn away his anger from them so that his anger would not bring them harm. And these principles are the very center of how we are going to understand this. He sent his son to be a propitiation. Let's think of the anger and the wrath of God. We have, as I said, we have offended God and every sin is is worthy of the punishment, the eternal wrath of God. The wages of sin is death. And and coming to any kind of understanding of the love of God as it was revealed in the person of Christ dying on the cross, we have to see that God is angry with us. The wrath of God. And when I see God sending his son into the world, he is sending it, sending his son in his love for us into the world. But the horizon is the wrath of God. The kind of cloud that's hanging over everything that's happening is our sin. And when the Son of God comes into the world to love us for our greater good and benefit, he is on the way to the cross at Calvary where he is going to give a sacrifice that's going to turn away the wrath of God. And that's exactly what Jesus does. When the darkness comes and he calls out in his forsakenness, then that moment has come 
when the wrath of God finds satisfaction in the person of his son who offers himself in our place. What is the punishment for your sin? Let God take it and let him pour it upon his son in that one event for three hours on the cross at Calvary, the propitiation for our sin. And as soon as Jesus does that, the wrath of God is turned away. Though you are angry with me, says Isaiah, your anger is turned away and you comforted me. And the whole Old Testament picture is of a people who have turned their backs upon God and rebelled against God. And because of that, God has turned to be their enemy. And in this wonderful transaction that brings about the removal of the wrath of God, that brings about the change in their hearts, it's a reversal of the whole picture. So that the image that we have when God gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the image that we have is of two that turned their backs upon each other. They're reconciled to the, uh, each other and looking into one another's eyes and seeing what is in each other's heart. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because for the ancients in the Old Testament they saw in the eyes what was in the heart. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There was that movement in the heart of God that embraced him in the midst of the darkness of his own day. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And to, tonight we find that reconciliation ourselves as we come to believe in the Lord Jesus. We find that peace with God because his wrath is turned away. And we can look into the eyes of God. We dare speak like that. And we can do so with the confidence that his wrath has turned away, that he has cast our sins behind his back, and that we have peace with him forever. And it also reminds us that that is the outcome of our love for each other, that it brings about reconciliation. And I can say that I love and I pro can proclaim that I love but where there is no reconciliation there is no loving in the sense that God loves and in the sense that God requires of his children. And, and so often when something goes wrong we cannot look each other in the eyes that happens from time to time in life. There is that shutdown and we cannot look each other in the eyes. But tonight as we hear what God is saying and what God requires of us, 
let's make sure that in all of our relationships we can see grace in each other's eyes and know that there is nothing hidden in one another's hearts but that there is that sincerity and that transparency which ensures the reconciliation that binds the children of God together and that shows their love for each other and their love for their Saviour. And so that's the greatest proclamation that we can make, as John goes on to say, that God's love is perfected in us. It reaches, reaches its ultimate goal. And let's together ensure that we get to that greater good with one another, amongst each other, and that greater benefit of the life that God gives to us, that life which is abundant, and that life which is eternal. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do rejoice in you as the great loving God that you are, who has poured out such love into our world in the person of your Son, and into our hearts by the power of your Spirit. And bless our hearts tonight, bless your word to us, that it may instruct us and shape us and mould us in our living and in our thinking, and in all of our relationships, and pray that you will give us grace day by day to be the children of God, for the glory of your name, for one another's good, and therefore to do the very things that are pleasing to you. Hear our prayer and accept our worship, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. The closing psalm is Psalm 133 in the Scottish Psalter on page 424. Psalm 133. Behold how good a thing it is and how becoming well to gather such as brethren are in unity to dwell. This whole psalm to God's praise. Behold her good
The love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore.